Hello, this is Eartha Kitt. Cats have nine lives. Wow. But unfortunately, you have only one. So buckle your seatbelt for safety. Crave of it, Chris! Let him have it, Chris. Let him have it, Chris. Let him have it, Chris. Let him have it. There's a button, a switch, everything. You're listening to Aerial View, worldwide on the internet. No tricks like this. What's gonna happen? What kind of radio show is this? I heard his voice on the tape and it really put the hook in me. Many, many times on both the white program and the home service. Stay in New Jersey and I don't care who you are. Chris, you get out of school. Let's talk. I'm sick of talking. Stop saying how to talk to people. That's clear as a mother's own bell. You might have this man go on the air and deliver a coded message. Showtime against a man's life. I don't see that in any argument. I can see you're really upset about this. It's all right. It's okay. Hello. Something to live for. Who's the English song? Who's the English song? Paulo Chris, stand up and wiggle your hips for us. I know that guy. But we're no boy. He's a nihilist. And I'll smash your face. For you, special edition of Aerial View OTR, Over the Road. I was going to call it Roadkill, because back in the day, that's what I used to call these things. Very nice. I recorded in my car, but then I found there's a, actually a show called Roadkill, 
I didn't trademark it when I had the chance, so fuck it. So over the road is from the trucking profession, OTR as they call it, and uh, Keith Hartel and I, who's been a guest on Aerial View uh, numerous times. The Alec Baldwin um, of Aerial View. Today we're actually going on the road to Point Pleasant, and I probably should have told you not to go this way just because this is a fucking disaster. A clusterfuck? This, this marginal road bullshit, unless they have a cop down there directing traffic, it just... You know, and then people yes. block the box relentlessly, and it may be the worst intersection in Hudson County, I would venture to guess. People attempting to turn right, and I'm admiring Keith's technique, because around here, you just gotta be aggressive, otherwise you'll be eaten alive. My feeling is that my car is small. Yeah. <laughs> you would think, because of the pandemic, there would be nobody out but I guess, you know, things are heating up again, right? The pandemic is... It's over. It's not over. No, but people say it's over. Yeah. It's yeah. the thing that you say. Stupid people say that. Stupid, Stupid people. people say just about anything. The point of this drive to Point Pleasant is to go pick up a 1976 Les Paul Custom that I finally convinced this guy to sell to me after about three years. Nice going. And, yeah, it took... It took uh, I don't want to interrupt the GPS lady. Although I think we all know where we're going at this point, right? Yeah, I have the visual map, too. Yeah. I just like to have her voice on in case I, you know... Get lonely? Uh, get lonely. In case I drift off. Yeah. Uh, mentally. Yeah, I'll, I'll tell this story real fast so that we can get on to other things. Because at any time I uh, talk to Keith, there's a wide range of subjects where uh, he's a, an autodidact. You will. Hey, maybe that's what I should call these segments, autodidact. What do you think of that? I think that's wonderful. That's, is that better than OTR? Yeah, that's yeah, good. Yeah, autodidact. There, I just gave it a new title. Years ago, I met this guy, Bill Ross, artist, at a show that uh, my wife was in, Sweet Tea was in. I admired his art. He did this really cool uh, charcoal drawing of the Jersey Devil. And nice. it was it was rather large, and it was really gothic, and then... We got to talking to him and his wife, and one thing led to another. Somehow found out that he, he used to be in bands back in the day, and he had guitars. And I ended up buying a Kramer guitar from him, aluminum neck guitar. I don't know if... Did you ever see that guitar? Yeah, yeah I remember yeah. that, yeah. It, it weighed, uh, like, I, I, I'm not kidding, 12 pounds, 14. It was, it was a massive piece of wood. It, it was one of the first uh, aluminum neck Kramers to come off the assembly line in Neptune, New Jersey. I think that's where they were made. And he sold it to me at a reasonable price. I ended up reselling it, made a little bit of money on it. But at the time, he told me he also had this 76 Les Paul Custom. And I said to him, if you ever want to sell it, let me know. And it, periodically, I would check in with him to see if he, if he did want to sell it. And he didn't. Right, <laughs> he, never, yeah. he never did. Lo and behold, a few months ago... I reached out to him, and now he was like, yeah, you know, yeah. I'll sell it. And we uh, went back and forth. We haggled a little bit, and, and we agreed on a price that I thought was reasonable that still left some meat on the bone if I want to turn around and sell it. Mm -hmm. And probably uh, I'm thinking what I might do is hold on to it for a few years, let it go up in value, because now uh, what they call the Norlin-era Gibsons are going up in value, you know. I don't know when Norlin bought the company, 71, something like that. But Norlin was a company that made a whole lot of shit, and then they decided they wanted to 
get into musical instruments, mm -hmm. and they bought the Gibson Company. Much like when, uh, who was it? AMF bought Fender. Who was the company? Oh, I, didn't, no. I don't. I don't. Uh, CBS CBS, bought Fender. Yes, yeah. There's the pre-CBS Fenders and the post-CBS Fenders, right? Pre-CBS. So Norlin set about destroying a once great American guitar company mm -hmm. by uh, driving down costs wherever they could and economizing, bringing the quality down. And so the, those guitars from the Norlin era are not as sought as Gibsons from the 1960s, the 50s, and so on. You know, we're talking about electric guitars now. Right. And I'll even specify solid-body electric guitars. So... But what's been happening as people get pushed out of the price on those 60s and 50s solid body Gibsons is they're getting into the 70s and pieces of crap like Marauders and yeah, S1s yeah, yeah, yeah. are going up in value. The bolt-on neck period when Gibson was really trying to compete directly with Fender. Gibson Marauder was the, that was the guitar of Paul Decalator of Peace Keith. Also, the guitar that, for some reason, they put this in the liner notes, beat Shelley on the, the uh, Love Bites second Buzzcocks album. You know, it's not a bad guitar. I played one down in Austin, Texas years ago, probably 2013, and I wish I had bought it. It was 500 bucks, uh, and they have since skyrocketed in value now. They, there's a certain appeal to a certain kind of player, I guess, because it was supposed to split the difference between a Gibson and a Fender. You know, you're supposed to have mm. a Swiss Army knife guitar and... To see where those things have gone in value is kind of kind of horrifying. Well, that was the thing; they were kind of low budge when they, they back in the day. They they were the bottom of the line. I don't, I don't know. I guess a Sonex would only it would be the thing that would be cheaper because uh, they weren't even made out of wood; they were made out of some kind of plastic wood. I know this is getting very geeky and guitar-y and gear heavy, but so what? Who cares? I don't. I don't care. So the point of this trip is now, I, I paid for this guitar a month ago. I mailed Bill a check, but because of my foot, I'm unable to drive. And this isn't an errand I was going to ask my wife to go on, because she would have said, no way. You want to do what now? And Keith and I were going to go last Friday. The weather sucked. Today, it's gorgeous, but high winds. Do the high winds concern you? I'm I'm willing to take my chances out there. All right, always am. I'll drive and I'll drive with the trucks. On yeah, the, on the turnpike, man. I'll go with the automobile truck. It works, man. I don't give uh, a shit. You're gonna go in the truck lanes. I go cool. in the truck. Well, I respect you know, that's, that. I don't I don't like uh, putter along with like them truckophobes and the auto only. What I like about the truck lanes is now you're talking about professionals, people yes. who drive for a living. So the point is. Here we go to Point Pleasant on a rather pleasant day. And if we, uh, if the wind kills us during this trip, it'll make a great story for my wife to tell. How did your husband die? He was going to buy a 1976 Les Paul Custom. By the way, she didn't believe me when I told her that's what I was doing. What, 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 what did I, she think you were I, up I to? I broke the news on Wednesday. I said, by yeah. the way, Friday, I am going down to Point Pleasant. I said, do you remember that guy, Bill Ross? And said, about a half an hour after I told her, she's like, is that really what you're doing on Friday? And I was like, yeah, I mean, what, who lies about you such a thing? think you're Walter I mean, White? Well, yeah, what did you... I mean, <laughs> do you think you're out making a drug deal <laughs> somewhere? Like, moving some weight? What, yeah. You know, what, hey, excellent segue into our next conversation, because uh, I broke down and I paid $27 for season five of Better Call Saul because I realized they were never going to drop it. Because season six has been so delayed due to the pandemic. We should be watching it 
We should have said it last year, I think, actually. If it was under Season normal. six? Yeah. Based on some of the things that you said on Facebook, I said to myself, I, you know, and here's the thing. I hate to admit this, but I will. At this point, I have like five or six different streaming services. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We yeah. got Disney Plus because yeah. we bought an iPad for my father-in-law for Christmas, yeah. and they gave us a, a trial. Yeah. I have Hulu yeah. to watch like ABC you shows. You just need Hulu for some shit. That has been yeah. my experience. Yeah. You need I, Hulu to watch The Shield. Yeah. Well, you know, <laughs> I, what about Homicide Life on the Street? Is that Homicide's not streaming anywhere, and I just no. saw that because since Yafet Kato just died, yeah. David Simon actually, to all the people complaining that Homicide is not streaming anywhere... It's above my pay grade. I'm sorry, I can't. I can't help you with this. <laughs> Poor David Simon. They got to get him to answer that question. Well, no, he's on Twitter a lot, dude. Oh, okay. He's on Twitter. He engages. He has. He's replied to me more than once, and I hardly said shit. Oh, nice. Hulu. Where was I? Netflix and Prime Video because we're Prime customers and we get the Prime Video for free. Right. Yeah. yeah. And we can deal with the ramifications of what it means to buy stuff from Amazon, that horribly rapacious company. That's destroying the planet and yeah. life as we know it. So I think it's normal, just exaggerated. It's normal but exaggerated. You mean Amazon? Yeah. What I mean is, it's like if you took the whole like the whole like evil corporate thing that drives down prices that everyone is the customer of, yeah. that squashes businesses, and you just made it one company. Like instead yeah. of instead of the bigger, larger corporate structure, it's like no, we just narrowed it down to one company. But here's what I think is hilarious about Amazon is I remember when it was brand new, when I first heard of it, my mom, because I was a big, you know, I was a bookworm, like to go to the bookstores. My mom was like, there's a new company and they have every book that's in print. And you order it over the internet and it happens really fast. And that was, their first pitch was like any book in print that you could get. And it was really surprisingly fast for, and this is like late 90s. And it, it just gradually, you know, it became gradually everything. But what I noticed is from the very beginning all the way to the present, any dealing with Amazon is incredibly smooth and, and surprisingly fast every time, without exception. And when you read about the company from their point of view, they were just like, our whole thing is we worship the customers. And there really is this commensurate how good it works for the customers that how the employees are treated is the equal opposite of somehow. That's what they call removing friction. Like the, yeah. the, the point of modern life apparently is letting people order shit on their phone with one tap. Yeah. And as much, like, I just had to order something from Amazon this morning. I had to get a soap dispenser for my store. Uh-huh. And I wanted a wall-mounted soap dispenser. And furthermore, I wanted one that you can run on AC power because right. I don't want to have to deal with swapping out batteries constantly. Yes. I found one on Amazon, new, 40 bucks, used, like new, 1675 and it's going to be here Sunday how else would you do that yeah exactly and I think what we should all do as Amazon customers is make them reform and convince them that it's good if their employees unionize and have a living wage and that kind of shit I think we should use the power of the purse but I digress so I finally broke down and I went on iTunes or whatever it was Apple TV whoever I bought it from and I bought season 5 a better call Saul. The point of telling you about all these goddamn streaming services I have, I couldn't find anything I wanted to watch. Like, oh. after Sweet Tea goes off the bed, I like to stay up for another hour yeah. in the basement and watch a show on my own. Yeah. None of it had that tooth to it. Yeah. None of it had the writing. Yeah. None of it had the visuals. 
Yeah. None of it had the storyline. None of it had the stakes. Yeah. The stakes are high in that show. Yes. High stakes in that show. Always escalating. So I broke down and I paid $28 for season five. I went through it in 10 nights. Yeah. I wanted to watch two a night. Yeah. But then I thought, you know, that's that's too much. Yeah. That's like I just had a bagel and now I'm going to order another bagel. I got to say, I think it improved on season four. You know, I, oh, I agree. I agree. I think as Saul Goodman marches towards oblivion, it's fascinating to watch. Yeah, and though there's a that show, especially the last two seasons, I think, but the way that there's a definitive click, it ratchets up the tension again. You know, like you're saying, it gets darker. Like every season gets darker, but the last two, particularly, I thought had a real, like legit mood shift. If you don't know, and we, it is a prequel to Breaking Bad. The Breaking Bad was about a chemistry teacher by the name of Walter White, high school chemistry teacher, who is diagnosed with cancer, I believe, in the first episode, right? That's, yeah, that's the thing that kicks yeah. off. Before you know it, he becomes uh, a drug lord, dubbed Heisenberg. Heisenberg, yes. Yeah. The story really is about Walter White outwitting his competitors one by one. A lot of what they're making about Walter White, as far as his outwitting people, a big component of Walter White became what he was willing to do and you know you see him lose his soul or whatever like the ruthless ability to kill anyone he becomes a stone cold psychopath as psychopath as it gets like Amazon he just keeps eliminating the competition <laughs> yes, and he, he does. does whatever he has to do he kills he kills three people that are basically innocent yeah I mean he has his reasons but if you go with the premise that killing people is a big deal yeah, spoiler alert to Earth. Like, but when he lets Kristen Ritter die, he goes to um, Jesse's house because Jesse's got the stash. Yeah. And they were doing heroin. So he breaks into the house and finds the stash under the sink. And then she's choking on her vomit in her sleep because she's, you know, high. And he's, he picks out, takes out his phone like he's going to call 911. And then he just like, nope. Yeah. <laughs> and that ends up being the way that he makes Jesse angry enough to separate from him at the end. When yeah. he feels that Jesse needs to separate from him to save himself. But the character of Saul Goodman, played by Bob Odenkirk, who I had always known as a comic actor yeah. from SNL and Mr. Show. Mr. Show. And another thing that he was, I mean, he's probably a lot of this stuff. If you remember the episode of Curb Your Enthusiasm, Larry gets his friend Gil Thielander, who's a porn actor, Porno yeah. Gil. He was that guy. He was the porn guy that the wife doesn't want anyone to wear their shoes in the house. He was sort of comic relief in Breaking Bad. He was oh, the, totally, he was, totally. He was this lawyer, but he was... Shyster. He was a couple of grades above an ambulance chaser, but he was this guy who basically consorted with very bad people. One of his clients was Walter White. Through Jesse Pinkman, because when that happens, because they have to spring Jesse's friend Badger, who was selling for Walter, and Walter White is looking at this strip mall with the Statue of Liberty. He's going like, what is this? And Jesse says... In this kind of a situation, you don't need a criminal lawyer, man. You need a criminal lawyer. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that's Saul Goodman. And and he would appear every few episodes. And I guess they started sort of bringing him in more and more. Watching, rewatching it, them, he's been kind of... like in this, He comes in season two and he's in sporadically. But he, he comes in more and more, even starting season three, because he ends up being the direct connection between Gus and... Walter and Mike Ehrmantraut. By the way, I met the guy who was Jonathan Banks. Jonathan Banks. I interviewed him. And that guy staring at you from three feet away yeah. is so unsettling. But he's, so but he's really nice, right? Yeah. He's a deep, he's a really nice guy. And that is the role of a lifetime. I mean, I'm yeah. sure he would tell you it's the best role I've well, ever had. Well, he does say it because he's on the, you know, they had podcasts 
you know, staff podcasts for Breaking Bad, Better Call Saul, and yeah. no, he, he's one of those, like, it's one of those classic, like, I thought I pretty much had, you know what's funny, you know what one of the things he plays is? If you see Beverly Hills Cop, yeah. he's the guy that kills Eddie Murphy's friend, like, in the first scene. Okay. Which is, I think is hilarious. And then if you ever, did you ever used to watch the show Wise Guy? Yeah. Because he plays Stephen the handler. Stephen Bauer? Stephen Bauer? He, he, yeah. he, plays, he plays the handler for the undercover. Well, wait a minute. Opera. Now I'm making a connection, because Stephen Bauer is a drug lord in uh, in Better Call Saul, is he not? Isn't he one oh, of the yeah, Mexican yeah, yeah. drug lords? He is, yes, yes, that's right. So is it possible that that's the connection? Either the no, casting no. Director well, and or... here's why: because there's, there's here's a story, uh, a great story. For one thing, the only reason why the character Mike Ehrmantraut exists is because Saul Goodman was introduced as a new character. So the scene where the aforementioned um, Walter lets Jesse's girlfriend die on her own vomit, aspirate. Thank you. Yeah. The next day, Jesse, when he wakes up and he calls Walter in a panic, and then Walter calls um, Saul. What happened was, the way it was written, Saul was supposed to be the one that came over and cleaned everything up, yeah. but Odenkirk had another job, and he just couldn't do it, like, you know, because he wasn't as regular on the, on the staff, on, you know, on the yeah. cast yet, so he just was double booked, so they had to invent Mike Ehrmantraut to just have another guy to go do the cleanup, and Vince Gilligan said was that they were just looking at, you know, the headshots of, like, who's, here's who we're considering, casting yeah. agents. And he just said he liked Jonathan Banks. He said, like, oh, Wise Guy was, that was um, appointment viewing for me. I love Jonathan Banks already. So that that was the leg up was just that he was familiar with them and he liked them. And that, that head, he had that awesome head. Think about the happenstance of him even being invented as a character for Breaking Bad. That he was big in Breaking Bad, but now in Better Call Saul, like, he's half the story. And it's, you know, you have one of the greatest shows ever. And that's one of the main stories as they're telling that guy's story. And he was put in there as an improvised fucking makeshift to plug it all. I am so glad you listen to these podcasts because I do not. So thank you for that. I appreciate that. And I'm going to issue a spoiler alert, which we probably should have done 20 minutes ago. If there's anyone who's been living under a rock and hasn't seen Breaking Bad and doesn't know that uh, a lot of these characters that you're seeing in Better Call Saul are going to end up dead. And I think that adds a great deal. It's really interesting. I'm trying to think of the last time a show revived characters this way. Like, has there been a prequel series to a series of the stature of Breaking Bad? That we that we know of. Yeah, I can't think of that. Not off the top of my head. No. I am movies. They did it, I guess. Movies they've done prequels, but like prior to Better Call Saul, I'm trying to think of. Uh, I guess you'd have to go into, like, comic books, really, because comic books is where you had this idea of, like, origin stories. Well, I just, because I just watched that fucking new Justice League, too. Zack Snyder's Supercut? If you watch those Snyder movies, like, you get to see, I don't know how many Batmans have to show a version, because, like, you had it in The Joker, you have it in Batman Begins, they work it into Batman versus Superman, Yeah. you know, because I had to get ready for Justice League, so I had to watch Batman versus Superman. But, like, all those movies, that origin scene of, of his parents getting shot in that alley, it's funny seeing, like, four different directors, at least, put, you know, through that scene in their Batman movie. To, because you got always explain Batman. You always have to explain Batman. All right. Well, we might as well uh, drill down on Zack Snyder's Justice League, the Supercut, which is, what, over three hours long? Over four hours, bro. Over four hours long. It's longer than the Irish. Fuck me. Is it a detergent mess that some people are calling it? Or? Here's exactly what it is. Okay. Superhero movies isn't a thing I'm really psyched about, but I, I, I watch them. I've seen a lot of them, and I'm a casual enjoyer of superhero movies. 
not invested, not like sitting and waiting for them to come out, but I watch them because I have Disney Plus or whatever. What Justice League is, it is what the fans thought it was going to be because what they said was that Josh Whedon butchered it and Warner Brothers made it come under two hours and it was a mess. So with Zack Snyder, with the whole thing, like if you've heard every praise and every criticism of The Irishman, this movie matches that perfectly. So if you're thinking of The Irishman, which would be my, more my take, which is this is the fucking, you know, the, the, this is the, 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 the elegy. Like this is the end. This is the, the final, the last word on mobster movies. Big picture. This puts it all together. It's, it tells an epic story. And it's got Jimmy Hoffa in it. Yeah, and, yeah. yeah deeply complete, like, but like the ultimate Scorsese movie in a way with those guys on that subject. And then other people were just like, this is a boring movie and it's like a very twice as long and twice as boring version of what he did before. So in that sense, Justice League, it's a normal superhero movie, except unlike the Marvel movies always make sure there's a lot of witty banter and cute shit happening. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And Zack Snyder, that he just kind of willfully doesn't do that style for both because it's not his taste, but also because as he said, you don't want to try to do like a Marvel movie, but so, you know, it's, it's very weighty. It's somewhat slow for a superhero movie. The, the plot is good and clear and it's divided into chapters, like seven different chapters. So every time it's the end of a chapter, perfectly fine time to stop watching. And it also, that makes the story make sense because it doesn't like, you're not like, oh, why are we underwater now? So if you love superhero movies, like I would say that it's a masterpiece of superhero movies, but if you think superhero movies are dumb um, for grown-ups to watch with dumb stories and dumb dialogue and wooden performances, well, it has all of that, too. Like I am was, Greek, and I tend yeah. to think of them as, you know, the, the modern-day myths. Well, It's Joseph Campbell's He character. leans harder, Zack Snyder leans harder on that mythology shit than anyone else who's ever made a superhero movie. If you can roll with it like as a myth thing yeah he does a great job with that thank you for saying what you did because maybe now I'll watch it because I have access to Jack Snyder's Justice League and I watched the latest Wonder Woman movie Wonder Woman 84 1984 I heard so many bad stuff about that because they took that one is only on HBO Max temporarily so because I just would have watched it now when I was watching all the Warner Brothers superhero shit but um, I watched the first Wonder Woman movie which I thought was like that it, it's kind of dull like but like well made like not cheesy but just like serious slow and serious you know what like if you're a stoner yes the movies to watch is fucking aquaman aquaman and birds of prey those birds two movies prey. the colorfulness and yeah. like there's they're just inherently silly movies so like, get very very stoned and then watch them okay get will do get as stoned as possible watch aquaman and you know I mean, I have not heard this in an official story, but I just feel that that guy is a total pothead. Jason Momoa. I'm, Momoa. I, I've, I've interviewed him as well. Uh, he's supposed to be a nice yeah. guy. Very nice guy. He was born Oh, to my God. When he came into the studio, yeah. the women were just melting. They yeah. were just melting. That is one good-looking dude. You know? Yeah, yeah, God yeah. bless him. Yeah. Uh, so we, now we return to the subject at hand, which is Better Call Saul. Season 5 is what we're talking about now. Let's yeah. Let's talk about how it starts it starts with him again at the cinema so it starts with his cover being compromised 
he has gone into a deep cover situation. So, because he's in witness protection, except if you don't have the government putting you in witness protection and, and you're, you're, and you're a fugitive. Right. I think I knew that, but did that happen at the end of Breaking Bad? Or did yeah, it happens happen at the end of Breaking Bad because Odenkirk wasn't in uh, El Camino. Because in Breaking Bad, there's when uh, Robert Forster like st stows those guys yeah. when he gets their documents ready. Walter White and and Saul Goodman end up in the basement together, and they start bickering. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, and that's like the, the comic relief for that time. The late Robert Forster, didn't he? Yeah, he just died yeah. last year. Yeah, he's he's really good in that show, by the way. It's oh yeah, perfect. sad we won't be seeing him in season six. Uh, he is uh, basically a mechanic, is what in the in the universe, right? In the well, in the Breaking Bad, he was a vacuum cleaner repairman. Right. So if and then if you wanted him to do the um, get you away, you had to be like. Uh, yes, I'm calling for a replacement bag for a V20. Yeah, I meant mechanic in the sense of like oh, a the fixer. Mechanic. Yeah, yeah, the oh, fixer. Yes, yeah, the guy who yes. fixes a bad situation, right? Yeah, uh, but even yeah. then, it seems like the only criminal thing they give him as a job is actually just disappearing people. That's, right. That's, yeah. That's his, his, one his speciality yeah. is fake. Uh, documents, fake identities. Yeah, but he, he has to set him up an entire town. You know, he right. has to find a place for him to live. Like, yeah, gives him rules. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And and what he's done for Saul Goodman apparently is is put him in some. I think did they ever name? Is it like Minnesota? Well, I believe in? I forget because what what it is is it's one of those throwaway lines that Saul had in Breaking Bad that ended up being a plot point because he says to his secretary. They say to him, you know, what are you doing? He's like, no, I'm going to end up being managing a Cinnabon in Omaha, Nebraska. Yeah. I think he says Omaha, Nebraska. Yeah. But, um, yeah, well, anyway, it's whatever, it, it, it is somewhere like that. But I think I think that is what it is. But if it's not, it's wherever he said he was going to be in Breaking Bad, which was a tossed-off random line when he said it. So it's it, it doesn't look like the most desirable of places to have to... Uh, Go and hide. Cool your the, heels. Yes. Yeah. The weather is terrible. Well, you're and in a midwestern mall. You're in a midwestern mall. It's kind of antiseptic and dull, and um, he looks like he's aged quite a bit, even if he hasn't really. Yeah. Uh, he's in disguise, right? Right. And he is just basically. I, I'm assuming he's trying to wait it out. Like this is an interim. Like this isn't the rest of his existence. Uh huh. You know, working at a Cinnabon and keeping his head down, at some point he will be able to go and do something else with himself. Is that what you're thinking? I will look at it different. Like, because for one thing, um, just from all the like the interviews and commentary they've done about that whole situation, is they were never sure. Although it seems like they've kind of said, like, yeah, they're gonna finish up the because that guy's name his name is Gene something Gene Tevik. Yeah, I forget what his name is, but he's got some kind of name. But that character, like that, they're gonna finish his story. But the way it rolls in that first thing where he gets recognized, because first he calls up Robert Forster and is like, "I've got an emergency," and then he's just like, "No, fuck it," you know what I mean? Like yeah. he's like, I'll, "I'll take my chances." So I think I don't think it's so much that he's planning how he's gonna break out of hiding, but that when his um, when 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 he's confronted with being scared of being caught. It seems like he just because he then decides to you know call off like arrangements. He's just like fuck it, like I'm going down with the ship. It seems like kind of fatalistic. Like either I'm gonna, this is no way to live. So either I'm gonna get killed by these guys or, you know, or I'll I'll slip away, but I'm not hiding anymore. And he almost says the. I mean, I don't remember the words he says, 
but there's some kind of like I'm not running scared anymore or I'm not going to stay hiding anymore attitude that he that he walks away from that with. Yeah, and this is all in the first episode, really. This yeah. is like he gets uh, spotted. Yeah. And a guy uh, is like, you know, and it's... it's listen, uh, what I love about this show is the vague air of menace yeah. that is attached to everything. Yeah. And even if... And, and they don't pump up the menace. The menace is just there. Well, there's a weird thing built in, too, because, you know, they, they do that, that black and white footage of Gene is in only the first episode of every season. And in every season, every time, there's always something that makes him nervous. So the, the menace or the foreboding is always there. Because I think at the beginning of season four is when he gets locked in the storage. But he yeah. won't call anyone because he doesn't want to get caught. So he spends a whole night like locked in a storage locker. And like the whole thing is like, and then there's an episode where he has to go to the doctor and he gets nervous when he has to do his ID. So it's sort of like this time is the time that finally the threat, the thing that scares him, like at first it starts to feel the way it always is that it turns out not to be real. Yeah. And then they start to be like, no, we know who you are. So this time there's the foreboding and the menace, but this time they just go that little extra where you don't know who these guys are, what they want. But you know that he's not just paranoid now. It's real. And you know that it's going to be him or them. Ultimately. Oh, yes. Yes. You know that... Uh, and by the way, it's two guys. When I say them, right. it's, two, it's two guys that come in, come up to him at the mall and basically like, you, you, you're that, yeah, do the line, do the line. Yeah, yeah. And, and so now he's, he's looking over both shoulders. And as Keith points out, though, we don't know yet how this is going to develop. They left it right. hanging at the end of season five. Oh, yeah. They left it hanging. So when we first see Saul Goodman again, there's a crisis. The crisis is not resolved by the end of the season. We see a lot of other things happen during the season, but we don't see those two goons in the mall return. Well, so, of course, because that's ten years from where the show takes place. Ten years later, you're saying? Yeah, because it's ten after years. Breaking Bad. and Right. I mean, well, I mean, maybe not ten years by now, but I think it was supposed to start, like, Saul starts, I think, eight years before Breaking Bad starts or some shit, and everything that happens in Breaking Bad takes over the course of two years. So the other things we see happen in the series, season five, is he officially changes his name to Saul Goodman. Yes. Yeah, that's yeah. the key moment. It ends season four, begins yes. season five. Right. He, he, we actually see there's a scene where he's down changing his name. The other development that is pretty significant, I think, in season five has to do uh, with his significant other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Big time. Yeah, Big yeah, yeah. Time. Kim Wexler goes through quite a journey of her own. Right? Oh, big time. Big, big journey. When we first see her in season five, she's still working for this law firm, Hamlin, Hamlin, and McGill. HHM. HHM. I'm thinking about all of the people from the show that I've actually interviewed. I've interviewed just about everybody but Bob Odenkirk. I mean, Michael McKean I interviewed, right? The guy who is the main villain of Hamlin, Hamlin, and McGill. Oh, Harold? Harold, yes. He's not. He turns out to not be that bad of a guy. He's not that bad of a guy but he's 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 not bad in that way that really infuriates you well he's what i think is great about that character is he's the kind of guy that like he is what he is but he's not other than like he's not duplicitous right Right. you know what i mean like and he's not um um he he doesn't have like vendettas and shit like no but he just is a douchebag fucking rich kid lawyer and he's impeccable at it 
Yeah. And that's the thing is because he's always, it turns out, like, I mean, it's revealed over the big picture, but he's always been nicer to Jimmy than Jimmy is to him for various reasons. Yeah. So he is played by a rather, I, I think the guy who plays the part is fantastic. But yeah. Because he does sort of cut that right down the middle where, like, you can't really tell what's going on in the, in the you, character's mind. You know, um, there's a funny story about that guy, too, is because that guy, right before he got that part, he had lost, like, being cast as one of the million people that go through Walking Dead. Yeah. So, like, he could have ended up being on Walking Dead for, like, one season and not bit, got to be on Better Call Saul. Well, I think it worked out. Yeah, it did. I think it's a pretty good role for him. But, so when we first see Kim, she's still working at that law firm, high-priced law firm. Yes. She's still representing Mesa Verde, which is Although a, Mesa Verde she took with her, so she's not working... Well, at the beginning of season five, no, because at the end of season four, she goes indie. She quits. She quits, but she gets she she manages through maneuverings, which Jimmy helps with. She keeps Mesa Verde, and that's how she's able to exist as an independent lawyer. Right. So then, what is that firm we see here? What is that office we see her in? Isn't that another? It's firm? that I think. Well, I, I think it's the um, the, the bank people. Oh, okay. It's it's the it's the law firm that the, represents the bank. Yeah, right? they're like her whole clientele. She does because yeah, she yeah. just does that, and then public defense cases for her conscience, and then so that's one of her dilemmas is that. They're starting to get pissed off that, like, there's an episode. I don't see, I'm confused what seasons have what episodes because this might be a season four thing. But there's a time when they want her, like, to show up right now. And she's like, I can't do it right now because she's doing some. Yeah, that's season five. That's the that season, season five. Okay. Season. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. The essence of drama is conflict, obviously. So, yeah. the, 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 uh, the thing about Vince Gilligan and the, and the staff of the, the writing staff of the show is they, they know how to set up several conflicts in, an e- in yeah. each episode. There's three or four characters in conflict with each other, and then groups of characters in conflict with other groups of characters. So there's a lot of nesting conflicts that go on, which uh, tends to hold your interest. Yeah. You want to see how shit is going to play out. The stakes in most of these conflicts are pretty high. It's big life stuff. Like Kim having this battle of conscience about what do I do with myself? Do I represent this horrible bank that wants to to steamroll this guy that's lived in this house for God knows how many years. So there's a storyline where Mesa Verde wants to put their call center, which is hilarious because nowadays you wouldn't build a call center anywhere in the United States, never mind New Mexico. Yeah. But they want his house. They need the property to put their call center. And her conflict is like, do I help this bank throw this guy out of this house he's lived in for 40 or 50 years? And it brings on one of the more hilarious sequence uh, sequence of events in the show as Jimmy gets involved. Jimmy McGill, yeah. a.k.a. Saul Goodman, and uh, pretty much just frustrates the efforts to throw this guy out of his house. Yes. Which ends in a bravura scene, by the way, of a Bob Odenkirk marching into a building. Oh, right. That's, yeah, that's and, beautiful. Uh, that's a beautiful scene. Beautiful. Yeah. And the build-up to that scene is just they, they kind of set the stage for it perfectly. But... So, yeah, so the, the development of Kim, Kim's character throughout the season was fascinating to watch because she goes from a place where you think she's occupying one moral ground uh-huh. and she ends up occupying another moral ground entirely. At the end of the season, she's pretty much signed off on the person that Jimmy McGill has become. Like I, yeah. And all along, I didn't know which way she was headed. I didn't know... Like, is she going to leave this guy because now she realizes he's just an amoral scumbag? No. 
She doesn't. She starts. She gets in touch with her amorality, which right. is its own morality. Yeah. She has a moral compass, and her moral compass basically uh, is against the big guy and for yeah. the little guy. Yeah, well, I, I think another thing that's funny is that, like, um, an under-examined fact, I think, is that when they say something must happen with Kim because she's not in Breaking Bad, it's like, yeah, but um, Saul's personal life is never shown in Breaking Bad. Like, he's never shown not either with the criminals or in his office. So, like, theoretically, Kim Wexler could still exist in, in the Breaking Bad universe. I have my own theories about what becomes of her, and it's not good. Um, I, I, I agree with you, because yeah. even due to things that the writers have said, I, yeah. I believe you're correct. I think she's going to end up uh, collateral damage yeah. and a victim of one of the, one of the uh, cartels or one of the uh, drug lords somehow, because that's what those bad guys do. And they don't go after you. They go after the people you love, right? So that's a pretty standard trope. Right. That's and, why I hope they don't do that, but they Because it's, it's a trope? Well, because you can see it coming one way or the other. I mean, any form, I mean, besides your specific way of describing it, but just any form of, like, you know, death through misadventure, criminal, or, or going to jail through misadventure. Like I, like, I think it would be cool if something happens, like, you know, that she fucking, Robert Forster disappears her. Oh, yeah. That, yeah. That would, yeah. I mean, that anything would... could happen. But, I mean, she would get in trouble, but there's a lot of ways they could handle it other than she ends up dead or in jail. But I will say that it is one of the more enjoyable uh, storylines oh, yeah, in yeah. the show. Well, it's one of the three pr principles. You know, her, Mike, and, and Saul. Uh, so, yeah, uh, Saul's storyline we talked about a little bit. We see the further development of uh, Saul Goodman as this uh, lawyer who um, represents people who are uh, criminals, essentially. Yes. And he knows they're criminals, but he is using the law against the the, the law essentially he's yeah. using the law and like the, there's one scene where he uh, brings a defendant into court and seats him in the back of the courtroom mm -hmm. and seats a different guy at the defense oh, table right, right. And, and asks the woman on the witness stand to identify the defendant and she points at the guy at the witness table right. at, yeah, the, at the defendant's table perfect and it turns out that's not the defendant. That was perfect. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know what? There was um, like a thing, on the, like a comment as far as like the lawyers that can like get get off the criminals. Um, Joe Rogan interviewed this comedian that had used to be like a uh, like a public defender trial lawyer. And what the guy said, he said something brilliant because uh, Rogan just asked him like, well, you know, sometimes wait, you're defending people that definitely, you know, are guilty. Right. And the guy's yeah. like, yeah. And he goes like, well, how do you feel about it then when you have to try to get them off, even though, you know, they're guilty? And what the guy says is... If you can't, like, get someone acquitted just through the rules, you know, just by yeah. doing all the legal points, if you can't do that, you will not be able to defend an innocent person when you need to at some point. Like, uh, if, you, if you don't have that built-in skill, you're, you cannot defend good people. If you, can, if you can't defend the criminal, you won't be able to defend the innocent. Yeah, well, that's, I mean, that's pretty much what we come to learn about Saul Goodman. Yeah. Uh, is that he's a pretty damn good lawyer. Right? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Jimmy Hustle. Yeah. Charlie he, Hustle, I'm sorry. Charlie, Charlie Hustle. Hustle. And so one of the other conflicts in the season, and I know we're jumping around, is uh, between him and Howard, right? Yeah. That conflict is really about Howard regretting that he locked Jimmy McGill out of the firm initially. Well, uh, actually... Was it Howard or was no, it his brother? It ends up, because Howard, that's when you find out that Howard is nowhere near as a douchebag 
is because it turns out Chuck wanted Howard to do that. He did it by Chuck's behest. But Howard felt tortured that he he was tortured because he got rid of Chuck when Chuck tried to strong arm him. Yeah. And then he just he just like paid him out and then Chuck killed himself. Right. So Howard is tortured about that and it, that's part of his humanity is two things because like at the end of season 4 he's a fucking mess. He's a right. wreck emotionally. He's shot. But by season 5, he's back. You right. know what I mean? Like he's spiffy. Yeah. But no, he's not he he, does, he he and he's still like yeah, he's still trying to reach out to to Jimmy McGill and part of it is because he feels or a lot of it is because he feels guilty about Chuck in general. And Jimmy is um, has shut himself down from thinking about Chuck in any way, so he has no like he like this common ground of the love for for Chuck that Howard feels he has with Jimmy that connects them. Jimmy rejects that, and of course, so he, oh, he rejects it in you know. Well, he really reject he just rejects it psychologically, like he rejects Chuck, right? And he never liked Howard anyway. So the idea that they have this connection, he rejects the connection. He rejects the idea that he cared about Chuck. He rejects the idea that he cared about Chuck's death. He rejects the idea that Chuck's death affected him in any way. That was the entire season four, I guess. This seems to have a lot to do with his ego and with whether or not he felt good enough for his brother. Like, it, oh, yeah. there are scenes in season four where that is really what is at the core of their relationship is that you never he always wanted his really approval. thought that I was any good. Yeah, oh, yeah. Well, well, that's what that, the, the climax of season four, that is the, one of the most mind-blowing things that ever happens because there's that letter that Chuck left him that was like, you know, we have always like had our differences, but I'm so proud of you. I can't even explain. And Jimmy ends up tearfully reading that letter in, in the in the court in the hearing to get his uh, license back, his legal yeah. license. Yeah. And he's like crying, and you think it's real. And then when he gets out of the courtroom and he says to Kim, like, ah, you see, I got him. Ha ha ha. And that's when he says he's going to be um, Saul. Right. And Kim is shocked, like because she bought it, and we, the audience, also bought it. One of the things that I keep trying to wrap my brain around in their relationship is what the appeal is for her and him. Oh, I mean, do you do you do you, do you, you know believe something? the chemistry I, there? Yes, do you because believe the I was in that relationship. You were. Yeah, and here's what it you is. You were a, a scumbag lawyer. No, but here's what it is. Is no, but I, w- I was with a square school teacher chick. Okay. And the thing was, is like everything about like kind of my way of life and what I wanted out of life and stuff like. She was the Sleep kind of late smoke pot. Yeah, uh, yeah. Playing a band, and the and and not only me, but like people that she liked to have as friends is like she was super square, but she was more attracted to people that were like mischievous partier types. Okay. And there's that. That's definitely like a type of person that likes to be. That's an insider, you know, normal person. Yeah. Who really just finds affinity with the outsider, and um, yeah, very real, and especially because. It's like that thing of the way she always wants to help him, but there's not. It's not a pity thing. Yeah. So yeah. so yeah, I will say that I've been in a relationship with that dynamic, but of course, you know, not with all the crime and stuff. I think the worst crime was uh, smoking pot and buying Xanax on the internet. There you go. And, terrible, uh, terrible so there crimes. You go. Yeah. Keith Artel, we are driving to Point Pleasant, New Jersey, to pick up a Les Paul Custom. Almost there, but I just want to touch on a few more things about Better Call Saul Season 5, because otherwise... Well, let me give you one more thing about that relationship, though, Please by the do. way. Because this do. was another thing that, like I said, how I was in the relationship. You notice that, generally, stereotypically with women, but even with people who are adults in general, and then more specifically with women who are adults, as Kim Wex was an adult, Yeah, uh, they're generally into, like, all right, well, where's this going? Let's move into the future. And... They never talk about the future or getting married, except for like when they talk about the future as far as him trying to do a partnership with her business partnership. She ultimately marries him for legal reasons, but 
that thing where she's fully committed to him as a person, but is not, it, it is never indicated that she looks into the future with him. Yeah. And that is one of the things that I think makes the relationship work correctly because it's, this is the thing is like when you've been the dude dating the normal girls and you know that the normal one is not going to want to have the baby with you, maybe because they tell you, yes. or maybe you just figure it out, but it's kind of like that. Like they like you, but they don't, they don't, they're not envisioning you in the future. Uh, and um, that's part of, I think, the Kim and Jimmy dynamic. That, that was there from the beginning of the relationship, too. Yeah, well, we got a little bit of glimpse of her backstory in this season, right? Yes, her mother, yes. alcoholic, unreliable, yep. right? And the defiance that she showed. It explains her impulse to take care of Jimmy a lot because she was always taking care of her, cleaning up after her alcoholic mom. One of the reasons, and I don't listen to these podcasts that Keith yeah. listening to, so this is conjecture. Yeah. I think this also raises the stakes on whatever happens between her and Saul, a.k.a. Jimmy. Because without fleshing her story out, I think that any eventual break, no matter how it happens, is not going to be as resounding yeah. as it would be otherwise, right? You, yeah. you have to really make her more three-dimensional yeah. rather than this appendage. I don't know what the first crime thing that he gets her to do, but they establish, like, when they, when they, when they get the, that guy to write a check for, like, a phony investment in that yes. restaurant. Yeah. Like, they show that she wants to, she has that in her. She has larceny in her heart. Yeah. yeah, she has it. It's like, yeah, yeah. Because all along you think because she's this blonde... She vacillates. Yeah, a woman, the reason she's going to leave Jimmy, a.k.a. Saul, is because she disapproves. I yeah. disapprove of the way you carry on. And now we're finding out that's not going to be the case. That's not going to be what happens. If indeed they are separate, we don't know yet. Yeah. As Keith points out, she could be alive. She could be in her own witness protection that's not witness protection we don't know where yeah. and that's what's going to make season six the final season mm-hmm. so satisfying right the other major storyline in the show is uh is his name nacho yeah yeah nacho Igna- the, short for ignacio short for ignacio yes. who is a uh, soldier who, yes who wants to get out who wants out and he has two uh, masters one of them is gus fring and the and other, other one Salamanca. Is, and uh, Gus Fring is making him continue to work with Hester, with um, Salamanca because Gus Fring wants the intel. Because Gus Fring hates Salamanca. Arch, arch enemies. Arch enemies because uh, they, they uh, the Salamanca is killed. And actually, and it his, wasn't even, that was, that was, Eladio actually had that done, which is, that's the guy from fucking Scarface, that yeah. Don Eladio. Yeah, yeah, Because yeah. that's actually the guy that, like, like um, has him killed. But he's connected with this. But Sal- cause Salamanca just hates him because he's the competition. And because if you remember, the, the whole thing was when he, when um, Gus Fring, this is breaking bad stuff, but he goes to uh, Don Eladio with his partner, who's this homosexual lover, who invented the genius chicken recipe. Yeah. And he's just like, all right, well, here's my chicken and here's my scheme for getting, you know, the drugs across the cartel and, and here's my right. meth. And it's sort of like they just kill, they just kill the fucking lover just on the principle of like you had the audacity to approach me but still work for me like that's a yeah and and meanwhile Gus Fring has been uh, stewing up this plot and because he does get his revenge on both Hector and Don Eladio in in, in Breaking Bad yes oh it's beautiful to behold too it's incredible I mean I would love to be in the writer's room when they come up with some of these uh, Rube Goldberg-esque contraptions well, to ensnare whoever they're trying to ensnare. Well, one of the things that was in... Because the, the, the podcast they have is excellent because it's um, one of the editors on the show. So it's all people that work on the show and then there's always actors guesting or Vince Gilligan and Peter Gould themselves. 
So like, you know, you get all the real, whatever the real story they want to tell, but what they say, and it's the same people that made Breaking Bad, like the, the whole crew, as much as they could, the writers, the editors, it's all the same people, which is, but what they said was the way, like a, a, the, the great example I think they used was how they get Jesse and Walter when Hank catches up with them and they're in the motor home in the, uh, in the junk lot mm. and, and Hank can't get in. And like they say, like a situation like that, they, they write them into the situation, then they have to figure out the escape. So like they don't have that genius thing where they're going to call Frank and pretend they're the hospital and his wife was in an accident. Like yeah, they don't yeah. know that that's how they're going to get him out of that. And, and it's the kind of thing you don't see it coming as a viewer, but then when you learn that as writers, they didn't see it coming either. It's you're like they got to reverse engineer it. these things. Like that Rube Goldberg aspect that you talk about. That's how they get it. Is yeah. they have to really contrive some wild shit. Well, my favorite thing that happened in season five, I'd have to say that the situation that was gotten into is, of course, Saul's trip into the desert to oh, pick that's, up that's, seven million dollars. I think right? that's believed to be the greatest episode of Better Call Saul ever. On what basis are you uh, staking that? I claim? people were just saying it, it's the, it's cinematic. It is a it's, good episode. It's cinematic. It's yes. like a movie. It's, yeah. And you know, it's specifically a movie like Lawrence of Arabia, but um, you know, I mean, it looks like Lawrence of Arabia. What I mean, but and that's intentional, of course. Um, but yeah, it's the most epic, most high stakes, most like high drama. Like it's 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 a western. It's the fucking ultimate gangster movie. It's all of it. It's man against nature. Man, it's got nature. everything. Yeah, it's got a little bit of everything, including the drinking of urine. Yeah, that's it. Well, that's a symbolic thing because that that this is another one of these quotes that like um, I think that Odenkirk himself might have said this, but like when he drinks the urine, yeah, like that's when he's fully fucking transformed. <laughs> like that's the moment when he's fully turned. Yeah. Is when he takes the urine. That is uh, the point of the return. Because <laughs> it's also when he thought he was dying, but he's surviving, but now he's hard. Yeah. Uh, also, a great Mike episode, by the way, too. Mike is oh, on course. the journey. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mike comes out of nowhere. Oh, no, impeccable. Yeah. Impeccable. You want, you want Mike on it, your side. That, that's one of those things you don't see coming, and then when it happens, you're like, oh, of course. Of course. What else? Could what else would have happened? happened? Yeah. What else? What, what, happened? Why does Mike even exist if not to show up at a time like this? Yes. Uh, and Mike is having his own travails. He is, you know, there's still the uh, PTSD from the loss of his son. And from right? committing murder. And committing and murder. From, yeah, because that, that is the thing. That, because that's the theme, like, that the, uh, it goes unspoken a lot. But he is Mike's thing of can you live with it. He is very much into you have to live with it, saying it to people various yes. times. Yes. And that's the thing he's living with is that he killed those cops for his son. Like, that's... That's the thing that he thinks he has to live with. Like, he has all the tears for how his son was better than him, and he was crooked and his son was straight. But when he's talking about what you got to live with, he's thinking that he executed two police officers who killed his kid, but he still totally fucking executed them. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and again, we know what happens to Mike because we yes, saw we Breaking Bad, and it's, oh, it's oh, still... And it makes it really, really... It, it's incredibly sad because it's not sad that he dies... It's sad that they get all his money because his whole thing was, I'm doing this so that my granddaughter will be taken care of. So, like, the one reason that was a selfless reason, his, sel his selfless motivation, that turned out to right. be for naught. And that's the tragedy there. Oh, and there's so a little crime doesn't pay in built into that. Crime doesn't pay. Oh, I mean, obviously yes. it does pay, but in this 
the message of this, yeah. There's a little of that built in there because Mike did everything right for the right reasons, in as much as if you could be a criminal for the right reasons, and uh, it didn't pay. It didn't end well, up we, I mean, of course, it didn't pay for Walter White. Look what happened, you know, to him. Look, look at uh, how it ends with for him. His family rejects him. Although, right? uh, in a certain sense, though, his family did get the money. So, in in a certain sense, or at least they got whatever the um, the bikers didn't steal, but they they still had a lot of money. But his family got some money, right? But and he got the money too to live off of, but. He lost his life, but that would almost, uh, but that gets into a whole other thing, because then I'd have to start talking about The Shield. Oh, what, what does The Shield have to do with it? Is The Shield well, part the Shield, of this universe? Or? Well, no, 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 but The Shield is um, one of the, like, you know, in Sopranos, Mad Men style, like, one of the greatest anti-hero narratives of all time, and it has the element of the guy, like someone who ends up getting away with everything, but basically loses not their literal life existence, but they do lose their life. You know, Michael you, Chiklis. Michael Chiklis. Who I've also interviewed, and, and uh, I interviewed him because he put out a horrible uh, easy listening album. Did you know he was like, he did the lounge singer thing? I did read yeah. that, yes. I found it unfortunate. Unfortunate, yes. That's a good word. But did you, have you watched The Shield? I have not. That dude, you got the Hulu. Because um, yeah. that's what you need. Hulu's got the shield. But, dude, if you haven't watched it yet, my reaction was two things. One is, I thought, oh, this is how good Sons of Anarchy was supposed to be. And it turns out the producer, Kurt Sutter, is actually the same guy. So there's overlap in cast and crew of okay. Sons of Anarchy and the Shield. But, like, it's it says, like, it's a cop show, but, like, it's sort of as good as The Sopranos except it doesn't have like um, it doesn't have that artistic sheen of like um, primo, primo television cable. but it does get like lumped in with those things as far as like you know the anti-hero thing with the more asking the audience to go on kind of a more serious ride but um, it's what? an incredible show who aired that show originally? FX FX okay. again same people as Sons of Anarchy oh that brings up the subject of the last season of Fargo my problem with the last season of Fargo was uh, that expression from the Cohen Brothers universe about putting a hat on a hat. Oh, yeah, I think yeah, it's yeah. very apt. Yeah. It it just it just kept adding stuff when it didn't yeah. need to. Eh. It was it was okay. Then of course we're talking about Better Call Saul season five, which to me a triumph. Watch it. If the you last seen it. I I've said this before. I mean I said it. I think I said it when the last season was on, but um. It's that one, like, say if the most, the best recent show, like, let's say, for the sake of argument, the best current show is Succession. And you're watching Succession, you're like, this show's awesome. Then you watch Better Call Saul, and you're like, oh, no, this is the holdover for when the TV was the best it ever was. Like, this is still, like, The Sopranos is gone, Mad Men's right. gone. Right, But Breaking Bad, in the form of Better Call Saul, that's still there, and it still exists, and it reminds you how good... TV like was like how good TV shows could be yeah it wasn't until I decided like I said to spend $27 and buy Better Call Saul that I, I felt yeah. like this is I need more of this so what is yeah. more of that the shield. Cartel? the shield the shield I realized I still own season one of Mad Men I've watched Mad Men all the way through many times Mad Men now you can stream for free but it has commercials oh okay but they're uncut so right. yeah okay I might have to do that I wish I had just bought the other season and kept it. We're almost there. Look at that. How far away are we now? 2.5 miles. Four minutes away, according to this. So we've talked about episodic TV quite a bit. What else 
should we discuss during this trip? It's been a long time since I've seen you in person, right? Like, well, there's there's no news anymore. There's just pandemic news. That's all there is. And even that, when those people are getting vaccinated, like that's all the news. That's all the news. Are we almost there? Yeah. I think we're almost there. This is Eartha Kate again, back to remind you to take your belongings with you and to get a receipt from the driver. Have a perfect day. Bye.